Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. It's you. Uh, my name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Gentlemen, I propose that we uh, skip the t- Twitter roll call for now. I just want to uh, check in with you all. Uh, h- how's it going in our respective bunkers? It's going okay. Uh, I, you know, uh, family time has been great. Um, I have to say we're reaching the point now in this saga, this situation where more and more of us, at least me personally, are knowing people like a direct, uh, I have a direct relationship with several people who now have, or believe to have come down with COVID-19. And, um, I would say while... A lot of this downtime being at the house has been pretty great to get things done, to be with family and everything. It feels like it's closing in a little more mm-hmm. at this point. Um, that's just maybe personal feeling, but that's where I'm at. 
Quick question. Have uh, the people that you suspect to have contracted the coronavirus, have they been able to obtain tests? Because those things are pretty much unicorns in this country. Not a single one. Zero out of six. That's a shame. Uh, I, I wish them a speedy recovery, man. Yeah, the good thing is that of all the people I know, um, four out of the six have fully recovered at this point. So that's at least a, a very good sign. That's fantastic news. What about you, Noel? I mean, you and I spoke earlier today, but uh, how, how's yeah. it going? Uh, it's it's good. I, I'm okay. Um, I had my, my daughter this weekend, and I just brought her back to her mom's this morning. Um, we had a nice weekend. Um, we're kind of shuffling her back and forth. Um, I'm obviously continuing to work, so it's easier for her mom, who is not working, to do the homeschool situation. Uh, she does have a small child as well, so she's having to ba- balance that. Um, uh, you know, another my, my daughter's uh, uh, sister. But um, it's good. I've been doing a lot of things that I don't normally do being home all the time. I've talked about, you know, working on music and reading and just catching up on things and catching up with a lot of old friends, uh, doing some online gaming. If anybody wants to online game, um, you can hit me up. I'm all about it. I've been playing borderlands three. Um, I wanted to share something really quick that I haven't told you guys about. Um, I had a listener reach out to me on Instagram um, talking about how thanking us basically for you know the show and the continuity of the show. He's a fan of stuff they don't want you to know and also Movie Crush. And he said that he was dealing with uh, the coronavirus that he actually got the virus. Uh, I asked him a little bit more information, and he said he's a patient transport person, an ambulance driver, I assume in in Long Island. Um, he could trace back to exactly when he was exposed because his supervisors were able to uh, isolate the incident um, that the, the patient that he was trans transporting and go back and kind of do process of elimination. So he could figure out when he was exposed. He was exposed on like the 13th and didn't start experiencing symptoms till last week, early last week, which, which that was kind of interesting to me because that seems like an awful long time. Uh, the good news is he's, he's, he's in his late twenties. He's, uh, you know, uh, running a fever of about a hundred point four. Um, and it continues. Uh, so it's not just like it spikes and goes away. So that's a, you know, certainly a thing that you can look for. Um, and he seems to be doing okay. He's just taking Tylenol. Uh, and he is uh, in the hospital. Um, I think that's largely to do with his profession, um, and just playing it safe. And he said, he's got nurses that are checking in on him. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really a really nice that he reached out to let him know that the show was helping him sleep and just kind of keeping him calm and also to get a little information directly from someone that was dealing with it. So I'm going to keep mm-hmm. his name anonymous, but um, he, mm-hmm. he said it was okay to, to share this. Agreed. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that on air. No, uh, peek behind the curtain here, conspiracy realist. Uh, we've been doing the same thing, or at least I've been, uh, you know, uh, Matt, Noel and I uh, have been I've I've been sending you guys text messages where I've been screen capping uh, some some of similar communications. Thank you to everybody who's been reaching out to us uh, to to thank us uh, and even more importantly to encourage us uh, to keep going even when the circumstances uh, are are fraught with plot twists. Like these are these are troubled days. Uh, so we're here for you. You can find us as as a group. You can also find us as individuals, and you can find our good pal Noel on what'd you say, Borderlands? 
I'm on Borderlands. You can find me at the Cubists, T H E C U B I S T S. If you want to hit me up and do a little little gaming, I've been uh, connecting with some listeners and, and playing playing some Borderlands. Uh, and just oh, just really man. quick, huge thanks to this listener um, because you know very much on the front lines of this pandemic, um, putting himself in harm's way, um, and obviously is is dealing with the repercussions of that. But something that clearly he does not regret, and it's very much um, a, a mission that that keeps this person kind of going. So. I really, really appreciated the information and also just really respect uh, you being willing to put yourself out there and and not really think of yourself uh, instead of thinking of others first, you know? Yes, big ups uh, indeed. And to everybody else who's putting their health and lives on the line to save and protect everybody else. Yeah, yeah, we've been including that message, but we simply cannot overstate it enough. Um, and, and, And also, you know, in the... In the interest of privacy, I've just been sending these messages uh, to Matt and Noel offline. But if you if you are okay with us sharing your story on air, uh, please just let us know in the message and let us know if you wish to remain anonymous or if you wish to have your name or a name attached to your story. There is no right or wrong answer here. Uh, but today's episode... Uh, is not about COVID, uh, ostensibly, or not yet. Uh, Today, we are returning to the Korean Peninsula. This is not an episode about uh, my ongoing obsession with the infamous hermit kingdom of North Korea, or our collective obsession now. Uh, In fact, this, in a way, is a pop culture episode. You see, we're delving into the global phenomena collectively known as K-pop, or Korean pop music. So here are the facts. First, what is K-pop? It's what it sounds like. It's a collective term for pop music originating in South Korea, and it may surprise some of our fellow listeners to learn just how recent this phenomena is. Yeah, it's true. I mean, today's K-pop industry wouldn't exist at all without South Korea's uh, extensive modernization and uh, a crucial detail, their relaxation of censorship, uh, particularly in the way this change has affected the nation's ability to broadcast things on television. Because back in the day... um, before some of the reforms took place in 1987 um, that created the nation's sixth republic, there were only two broadcast networks in the entire country. Uh, and they had, uh, you know, just immense control over the kind of music South Koreans were allowed to listen to. The radio was also uh, more or less under state control. Yeah, yeah. Think about all those times you've heard people older than you, maybe your parents, maybe your, uh, some other loved ones, say, you know, back in my day, the television only had like three channels, UHF, VHF, whatever. Uh, and then you just had to watch what was on channel three or five or 11 or whatever it was in their part of the world. This was the situation in South Korea. This is not an exaggeration. Uh, and also, like you said, radio is under a government control. This means that if we're being incredibly diplomatic, we would say independent music didn't have much of a footprint, by which we mean like zero. These these folks were uh, these folks were very much a state enterprise. Rock and roll music, as we think of it today, or even back then, was incredibly controversial. It was often banned, sometimes uh, for uh, I would say almost xenophobic reasons. The idea that the culture of uh, the Korean nation would be compromised by a glut of this uh, foreign music. And 
the way there was a specific way that musicians and songs met the public. There were these talent shows on television. They aired on the weekends. And again, remember, there are only like two channels. Uh, and when the people, when performers won these talent shows, then radio would play their music finally, but they would only play the music of the people who had already, you know, quote unquote, made it on those weekend TV shows. So there was no like underground breakout star who went from busking on the streets of Seoul uh, to all of a sudden blowing up on your radio station. You know, it's interesting, like J-pop, which is the Japanese equivalent of K-pop, obviously, really didn't hit big until the 90s either. Um, but Japan had much more of a history of like more diverse kind of musical tastes, especially after uh, you know, global conflicts and a lot of American soldiers bringing, you know, American music to Japan. And then, you know, when Jap Japan kind of became this almost like had to rebuild from the ashes, you know, of, uh, of being bombed, uh, they kind of emerged as this like technological superpower and this very pop culture driven society. Um, so that was much earlier, obviously, than, than K-pop. But uh, very interesting that the boy band girl group kind of thing didn't really come around until the 90s around the same time time that k-pop was was happening yeah because it's so easy going back to our earlier ongoing conversation for longtime listeners it's it's so easy to forget that this is kind of a new thing in the grand scheme of events it seems like it's always been around but it, it it's really it goes down to that 1987 reformation that's when the 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 soil was laid for this so after things are loosened up after they're a little bit less Orwellian with censorship, radio blows up. Radio is everywhere AF, or I should say AMFM. Uh, South Korean residents would hear new music that they had never heard before. They'd hear it on a regular basis. It's like just for a second, every radio station became 88.5 or 91.1. Those are two great, uh, great local stations here in Atlanta. It's like everything turned to college radio in terms of the variety you would see. And this included music from the Yankees, music from the United States. So people were digging it and they were like, hey, this isn't that bad. But radio is only part of the story, right? Yeah. Don't, don't forget those talent shows. That those come back in a big and important way for, for new acts and new types of music. I mean, TV is really the gold standard. It had been in South Korea, and it continued to be that way. More than 99% of the homes in South Korea had access to national television networks as early as 1992. So that's not long after the change over there. And then people watching TV, it was the most... It was the most viewership that had ever existed within South Korea, especially on the weekends. And that's when those talent shows happen. And that is where you get all these new acts being introduced to everybody in South Korea all at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they these TV shows still, even now... Uh, remain in the modern day one of the biggest single factors in the success of any South Korean band. It's funny because, you know, I know that uh, all of us, all four of us, Mission Control, uh, Matt, Noel, and, and myself, we're, we're fans of music history, both from a, a sociocultural perspective and just from the experience of music we like. So we all know 
Now, when you look at a, a genre or a shift in music, you, you tend to look more at a gradient, right? A lot of genres kind of blend and, and slowly evolve into something new or different. But unlike many musical genres, K-pop appears to have a definitive starting point. It's April 11th. 1992. There's a great account of this by a researcher named Hannah Waite. Uh, she she studies the history of K-pop, and she says that a group named Siotaji, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing, Siotaji and Boys, uh, they are the uh, they are the watershed moment of K-pop. So Siotaji is the front man of this, these, a couple different bands. First, he was in a heavy metal band called Senoe or Senoe, and they broke up. He got into hip hop. He teamed up with two dancers. They performed a single called Nan Areo or I Know on one of these weekend talent shows you were talking about, Matt. And boom, just like that, when they perform on April 11th, 1992, K-pop is born. This may make you think that uh, Siotaji and the boys actually won the competition, but no, I mean they they came on the bottom. They you got the lowest <laughs> score out of anybody on the show that day. Mm, but but it, it doesn't matter. It was it's like um, I'm trying to imagine what it's like. Um, I'm gonna take it to my four year old son. So he had never tried uh, broccoli before. And then one day he tried it and he didn't like it at all. He's like, ugh, that is gross. <laughs> but now he knows what broccoli is. And when we talk about broccoli, he thinks about it and he'll take a taste. He's like, mm, it's okay. And now broccoli is one of his favorite things that he can eat. I'm telling you, that's all that they needed. They need to just get that broccoli on TV for a second. It reminds me of like that. Uh, do you want to be a VJ competition where that like super skinny, weird looking stoner guy, Jesse, won first place? And the guy that won runner up ended up ultimately becoming a pretty big uh, television sensation. Like, you know, had much more of a, you know, long lasting career in TV, whereas Jesse kind of burned out pretty quickly. I mean, he already seemed like a bit of a burnout. He had like some, some issues with drugs and alcohol and like, uh, you know, being on the lamb about, I don't know, it was a whole thing. But that guy, Dave, uh, what the it was Dave's last name. He he was the he lost the competition, but he ultimately became he came out on top. Dave Coulier. It wasn't Coulier. <laughs> it wasn't Mustaine. It wasn't Navarro. It was uh, you know the Dave the Dave. Well, I if know. you're if you're talking Dave's on top, I'm always thinking of Dave Coulier. I mean that's 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 the gold standard of Dave's, right? Welcome to MTV News. This is Dave Holmes. Dave yes. Holmes. <laughs> Dave Holmes. There we go. That's exactly right. He's an acceptable Dave substitute. I agree. Man, VJ, that was a dream job, huh? Mm -hmm. uh, so, but the, but the whole yeah. point there is that the the whole South Korean culture got introduced to this K-pop thing all of a sudden, all at once, and they all saw it, and they went, huh, that's a thing. It's not our, not our favorite, but it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here's what happens. So there's an interesting role here uh, in, you know, there's something to be said about the possibility of cultural policing, you know, like uh, like in France, there is an official linguistic institute that monitors uh, how new words are entering the French language and they're fighting to quote unquote preserve it. Uh, you have to ask yourself whether the judges on this talent show were uh, were playing playing CEO and the boys to the left uh, because they were too culturally different. One thing's for sure. 
the rest of the nation does not agree with the judges. This song, I know, goes on to dominate the singles charts of South Korea for like 17 weeks. And then for 15 years after that, it remained, it, it held the record for the number one uh, longest streak in the country's history or the longest time at number one. Yeah, and, and this was not just like a band. This was like the beginnings of an institution, and big business recognized that. Uh, recording studios, record labels actually stepped in to take over and formed a new studio system. Let's yeah, think about they, us. They yeah. saw dollars. Yeah. When we say studio system, we think of like MGM, Universal, you know, like the big movie studios. This is that kind of money and that kind of opportunity. They created this from scratch out of the ashes of of the broadcast-centered system, right? So then between 95 and 98, you had three mega powerhouse music studios appearing. You had SM Entertainment, um, often just referred to as SM Town, uh, and that was in 95. And then we have JYP Entertainment in 97 and YG Entertainment in 98, uh, created by one of the members of Seo Taiji and Boys. Uh, and then we've got, yeah, that, that was Yang Hyun Suk. Uh, and so together, these studios began to uh, cultivate and, and headhunt essentially recruit what would become known as idol groups uh and you know we we know this in in the states in terms of like the backstreet boys and as far back as the new kids on the block and you know more recently with one direction and these kind of super groups uh, even as far back as the monkeys you know bands that sure. were built from the ground up by executives for the purposes of eliciting a certain response it wasn't like they were just doing it in their parents garage these were created as a business ploy can, can yeah. we pause? Can we pause here really quickly just to talk about how big this business has become? Because we're talking about the first big three, right? right? SM Entertainment, GYP Entertainment, and YG Entertainment. Yeah. So these are the big ones. These are it's the mid '90s uh, to the late '90s when these are created. If you look now at lists anywhere of the biggest K-pop groups that are out there, and there are so many groups that exist, almost. Not, not. This isn't all of the uh, music labels that are controlling all of them, but JYP is still up there. SM is still up there. YG is still up there. Now you've got Big Hit Entertainment, KQ Entertainment, Cube Entertainment, FNC Entertainment, and there are, there are probably a dozen more that control. I, I don't even know how many hundreds of oh, these wow. groups. It's crazy. Here's the thing. Uh, a lot of those younger studios are kind of a revolving door like we see with government and private industry in the United States because a lot of their creators were formerly members of K-pop groups or somehow affiliated with the industry and struck out on their own. I do want to point out also when we say idol group, we mean I-D-O-L. These folks yes. are anything but I-D-L-E. They're yes. actually living a very, very difficult life. Um, so yeah, uh, the first idol group comes on uh, comes on the global stage in 1996. The founder of SM, a guy named Lee Su-man, creates this group called HOT, H-O-T, uh, and he does it by getting five singers and dancers who, in his mind, represent what he thinks teens want to see from a pop group. So, you know, I love that monkeys reference because it's just like somebody who's who's uh, kind of aged out of that scene going, you know what the young folks like? You know, they like uh, they like a little gyrate. They like a gyrate with a hip <laughs> and they, they like a little, uh, you know, they like a little harmony. Uh, this is what uh, the yeah. kids are bopping to these days. Well, they, they, gotta, they like these Beatles 
and yeah. we, we need to make more of those. We'll just call them the monkeys. <laughs> but what's funny like, about the monkeys <laughs> is they started off that way, and then they made some pretty cool records and uh, a really psychedelic film called Head that you guys should yeah. check out if you haven't seen it. Like they actually went on to be pretty interesting in their own right. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a thing that, that that took the world by storm. I have a question. Like maybe we're gonna get to this, but I, I just want to say I love Red Rubber Ball. Everyone should listen to it when you get a chance. That's is a that good. Vo- I think so. It's a good vocal warm up, though, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that yeah, one yeah. that's hard to say. I really Red. thought that was an HOT song. What is HOT? <laughs> well, what what what's your question? <laughs> oh, oh no, just I mean, they're called idol bands. That's obviously where the American American Idol came from. It was emulating this system mm-hmm. of of uh, of uh, uh, talent shows that was so huge that created this industry, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. One hundred percent agreed. And that means that we can also trace the evolution of all the other kind of shows, like America's Got Talent, uh, and, and uh, you know whatever their derivatives are. We can we can trace all of that to this genre. So now we have now we have the emergence of the idol group, the emergence of these these huge these levi like leviathan size businesses, and it's off to the races. Nowadays, the global invasion of K-pop is part of a larger cultural invasion called Hallyu or the Korean Wave. But Matt, I really like something you pointed out. How big of a business are we talking? We'll explore that briefly after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, we're back. How big of a business? Well, it's global, that's for sure. That's an understatement of uh, stuff they don't want you to know history. Because today, the popularity of K-pop not not just Hallyu, but specifically K-pop, reaches far, far, far beyond the South Korean borders. There was a survey conducted in 2019 where they asked a ton of people in 17 different countries, uh, you know, what, what's the word on K-pop in your neck of the global woods? And 37.5% of everybody responding in all 17 countries said that K-pop was super popular in their country. And think about that. Because you know not everybody in those 17 different countries speaks Korean, right? Or reads Korean. The fans are almost their own episode. The fans of K-pop are rabid. They are fanatically loyal. They're found across the planet. And there are even some uh, what are called anti-fans. Have you guys heard about this? The, the anti-fans who, for one reason or another specifically zone in and hate uh, a K-pop band or a performer, sometimes because they feel like that person is um, uh, has done something wrong to a K-pop performer that they like. It's very weird. Like, this, this is a graphic thing, um, but the level of stalking here has uh, entered, like, fatal attraction, uh, Cape Fear, degrees of extremes I, I not to be too crass but uh fans have in the past sent uh letters proclaiming their undying love to again people they've never met uh, but these letters have been written in blood particularly menstrual blood what? in at least a few cases yeah yeah Ooh. okay uh, well they'll even go so far as to uh ha- set up cameras and mics in the hotel rooms of traveling musicians as these bands, as they're going around, they'll like show up early and basically bug the rooms before the, the band gets there and then just record them and put right. out videos. Now, I think I may have mentioned this to you, Ben. Um, but when I got back from a trip, not too long ago, uh, in the, uh, in the gate at the Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson airport, um, there was a, uh, a group of what appeared to be uh, Japanese or Korean uh, school-aged girls, and they were wearing, you know, the traditional kind of school garb, like uh, the, uh, you know, a skirt and kind of like a uniform top, and they were all wearing uh, masks, so I couldn't quite tell what their nationality was, and I was also from afar, but they all had these very pricey-looking telephoto lenses, and were all just snappity-snapping it up at these four dudes hanging out in the corner, um, Mm -hmm. looking on their phones. Uh, and and I, I believe they had to have either been J or K pop dudes, but I'm like, how are these, these young ladies happen to be traveling with them or what was the deal? Like, like, are they following them around the country? Like it's a, yeah. is that, is that a thing? Like, what's up? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, the the communication network for fan groups is extensive. They could probably teach intelligence agencies a few things. To be candid, uh, they had uh, like I, I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I was spending some time in Koreatown in Tokyo, and we saw something kind of the same thing. Just sitting, getting like a matcha tea or some or whatever kind of coffee house confection, and then all of a sudden there was this mob of people with. As you said, very expensive, professional grade uh, telephoto lenses, and they were they were just uh, they were waiting for these people who literally just sort of like walked by nonchalantly. Maybe one guy posed, and it was it was nuts to see that up close. It was almost like it was almost like how whale hunters or whale watchers must feel when they're out in the boat, and all of a sudden they see this enormous thing rising from the depths. Uh, it's it's a huge, huge, huge industry, and you know, just just to give some numbers about how big this is, uh, we were talking about this off air. Uh, the, the true financial numbers, especially for those big three studios are a little squirrely, at least in my opinion. Uh, I, I honestly think they're being underreported, but you can, you can find some estimates, but as we're going to learn those estimates, uh, leave something to be desired. Uh, we can talk about some specific, uh, global milestones that K-pop has reached, you will recall the first YouTube video to reach 1 billion views. Everybody remember what that one was? Was it Gangnam Style? It was the very same by Psy, who's interesting because he's not like your typical K-pop person in appearance. But yeah, he reached a billion views. And as we record, the uh, numbers continue to climb for just that one video. Well, well first of all, that... That must have had something to do with the fact that that was one of the first ones to really hit big in America. I think so. Yeah, I agree. Because it was huge in America, and it was mainly because it was just funny. It was a really, really funny video. Um, it was really brilliantly produced with all the dance moves and like all the crazy pyrotechnics, but it had this tongue in cheekness to it that I think really just hit at the time, uh, where like absurdist comedy was really big, like, uh, Tim and Eric and things like that. So Mm. I think that fascination with some of these, you know, um, cultural phenomenons and then being able to kind of glom on to the sort of absurdity of it all uh, really made it, it it go over the top because that was the first ever K-pop thing that I was ever really intimately familiar with. And I don't know that there's ever been another one since then that I was as familiar with. Well, here, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, but let's let's imagine really quickly how, how much is that worth? A billion views on YouTube. <laughs> now, just from, from our experience on YouTube, you, you know, that's, that's probably a fairly large, that's a nice chunk of money, but you know, it's, it's YouTube money. It's, um, you know, it's okay, but that's not going to make anybody a millionaire necessarily. Um, even if you did that a bunch of times, you might get there eventually. And then think about album sales now in let's say 2020 and even the 2010s, um, album sales aren't what they used to be because mm-hmm. streaming became such a thing. And you, you have to imagine how much money is actually being generated by a Psy or by the biggest uh, K-pop band out there right now. 
Ah, interesting you say that. I would like to quote uh, Spaceballs or any number of Danny DeVito, uh, Frank Reynolds subplots and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's merchandising. You know what I mean? That's where a lot of the money is. Like, that's a great point, Matt. Let's talk turkey. Believe it or not, as of 2019, a single K-pop band... And let's see, uh, fellow listeners, fellow conspiracy realists, let's see if you can guess who it is while you're listening along at home. A single K-pop band is worth an estimated $4.65 billion US. Wow. Can you guess? I bet you guys already know. I think it's probably... uh, mm, Is it EXO? Close, close. It is. Uh, it it is what appears to be a uh, a short grouping of English letters. It's BTS, the, uh, uh. the the elephant in the room of K-pop. Whenever we talk about it, BTS was also the first K-pop group to reach number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, they also still hold the record for the best-selling album in all of South Korean history, from like since the first album came out in South Korea ever. Wow. Wow. You know, I only learned about them when they went on Saturday Night Live. Uh, But they they were pretty great performers. That's Mm -hmm. all I really know about them. They're a little bit different. Uh, K-pop fans have assured me because in a lot of in a lot of performances, you might hear that some K-pop bands are lip syncing their songs, but mm-hmm. BTS is famous for always actually singing the songs. And you know what? Even if you're not a fan, you got to respect the hustle. You got to respect those dance moves. Those guys have it on lock. They're on point. Now, they they also performed live in front of a million people in person in Times Square in December of 2019, ringing in the new year, and one billion other people tuned in via television. Those numbers are insane. We could dedicate an entire podcast series, not just the show, a series to K-pop alone, and doubtlessly many other podcasts have, but we just wanted to articulate the broad strokes. We wanted to give you the lay of the land. K-pop is successful. It's huge. It is a global economic force all its own. But we would be remiss if we didn't have just like a, a little fun with this. So we've named we've named uh, EXO, we've named Psy, uh, we've named BTS, and we've named the, um, you know, the, the group that made w- the first K-pop appearance uh, back there in April. But let's see, Matt, you found you found some other names that, that you wanted to share with us, huh? Yeah, let's do this. I just looked up couple lists of what would be considered the top selling or most popular K-pop groups that are out there right now as of, I think, seven days ago. Uh, so here, here are some. Blackpink, GOT7, Stray Kids, Twice, TXT, Red Velvet, NCT 127, 17, Mamamoo, Icon, with a K, Monster X, 80s Super M Astro Giddle or is it G Idol? I think it's G Idol. I'm not a <laughs> I'm not the authority there. <laughs> anyway, there's a ton. Pentagon Day Six X One One Us One Us A Pink XP Edition. There's just so many. Yeah, there's so many, and you pick some great ones. I I am sorry to inform all our fellow listeners that 
Stray Kids and Twice are two different bands. For some reason, I love the idea of a band that's just named Stray Kids Twice. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, they're they're just so they're so wonderful. I love all those names. It's so much fun. It just feels like screen names to me. Uh, <laughs> right. Weird, weird screen names. Remember when everything used to be surrounded by like X's, like lowercase, mm-hmm. lowercase X, and then the uppercase X. It wasn't that a straight edge thing for a while. It, it was in some circles. Yeah. Like people would, you know, people would draw X's or even tattoo X's on their flesh. Uh, this, this is interesting because these bands, we have to emphasize, it's not just about the music. There's the fashion, there's the tone, there's, a cur- of course, the merchandising. Uh, but this is not all that K-pop is. And it's tragic and it's unfortunate that we have to say that. It's the point of our episode today because K-pop is not all cutting-edge fashion, smiling teens, and scads of money minted from catchy love songs that are written to algorithm. K-pop, you see, has a dark side. And we're diving in after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, it turns out there's a very dark side to this business. And in a lot of ways, what we're going to be talking about ahead reflects some of the issues that we've talked about before in the music industry, just globally, as well as entertainment industries across the world, especially uh, in Hollywood and in the United States. But it's a, its very own brand of dark side. Just a word of warning coming up. This will make some of you uncomfortable. We're going to be talking about um, allegations of abuse, sexual and otherwise. Uh, just a word of warning. Uh, let's let's talk about it. Yeah. Yep. For the past several years, decades, really, K-pop has encountered a number of scandals and then a, a greater number of suppressed or hush-hush scandals that give lie to the squeaky clean image the bands and their management work so hard to project to the outside world. Here are just a few. We wanted to want to isolate some broad categories of issues. The first, okay, so we mentioned one band alone, BTS, is a multi-billion dollar industry by itself. That's a very extreme example, but there's there's no arguing that a lot of these bands make a ton of money. And that's our first question. That's our first issue. Who actually gets that revenue, who gets the money? The answer might surprise you. Yeah, uh, it's true. And, and you know, we're going to see some parallels with this and, and the way artists are treated in the States, too. But this is a much more egregious version of this. Performers sign contracts that can last as long as 15 years. That's insane. We definitely don't see in terms of that length in the United States. And just to give you an idea of that, the terms are somewhere between seven and 15 years, the ones that at least I've come across. And when you're talking about a talent contract or something like that, terms, yeah, that, as Noel is saying, that's a, a, an exorbitant amount of time. Terms are usually in the year to, you know, a couple of years, five years, maybe maximum. Uh, but th that's a lot. Yeah, and that's essentially like signing away your adolescence to a company. Um, and, and, you know, and that goes along with the profit ratios as well. We're looking at 80% seated to the company, 20% to the artist, uh, or 90% to the company and 10% to the artist. So you're, it's like a, almost like a form of indentured servitude. Absolutely. And keep in mind that if you are in a group, that figure is even worse for you because that 10 or 20% is typically going to be split between you and all your band members. Uh, this, this, is, this is important because those 7 to 15-year contracts aren't just like put out X amount of albums, do live shows as requested and appearances. They're, they're things like, uh, like morality clauses, incredibly strict rules on your public interaction, even your, your private interaction. And this does function at its worst as indentured servitude. They've actually been called slave contracts uh, because it's meant to keep the performers entirely dependent 
on their label owners because the way the way that these groups are created is very competitive and people train in groups for just a chance to be in a uh, a K-pop outfit. So you know as an individual performer in many cases that if you don't toe the line, there are hundreds of people right behind you who will jump at an even worse deal. And just to just to really expand on that for a second, in a lot of the reporting about this, and and I don't know the full reality of it, but certainly from the reporting, the training that occurs just to essentially be auditioned at some point or to be like a stand-in um, to get into one of these groups if a member leaves or something, you are training for literally 10 years before you become a member of one of these major groups if you're going through some of the big, you know, the big schools, essentially, the K-pop schools that exist out there. Well, the, so, wait, that means they're starting you off when you're very, very young then, Right. A lot of times, other times, the ages range pretty, pretty extensively there. But I would say, yes, starting out young and going through the system to then hopefully one day get one of those contracts. And when you get into a group, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the K-pop groups range from two people to generally about five to seven people and go up to in the dozen doesn't like literally a dozen people in one group. And we're talking about splitting that money, you know, 20% to maybe 10%. That's so intense, Ben. Yeah. And it depends on what the, you know, is that 10 or 20% that's stated on paper? Is that the actual percentage mm. of the haul? Uh, color me skeptical or color me cynical. But here's, here's another thing uh, about that age range question. Yes. Yeah, starting early is advantageous because there is one big difference between this type of music industry and the pop industry here in the United States. Well, there are many differences, but here's one a lot of people don't think about. These groups often have kind of hardwired expiration dates or breakup dates because the Republic of Korea, South Korea, has mandatory military service. That means that you are already on a ticking clock leading up to the time in which you must enlist. And that means that you have a, uh, a very limited window of time to uh, make it big. And you also don't have a, a, a huge opportunity to fight back against this system if you, if you want to you know, get better representation or make things better for performers overall. You're, it's brilliant in the way that it has been calculated. But unfortunately, no, like that's bad. That's terrible. Uh, but, you know, we, we can't cast too much aspersion because that's the music industry across the world, the world over. There's another problem, which is unfortunately shared with many other countries' music industries, and that is sexual abuse. Uh, sexual abuse in a couple of different ways. One of the most famous uh, examples is something called the Burning Sun Scandal. This happened about a, a year ago this month. There were several male K-pop stars, including a guy named Sung Gri. Uh, and again, we don't speak Korean. Here's what you need to know about him. He was a member of a boy band named Big Bang. And he and one of his associates, uh, he and a couple of his associates, a former member of a group called FT Island, and a singer and songwriter called Jung Joon Young, were implicated in a spy cam sexual abuse scandal. The songwriter was sharing videos of women filmed without their consent 
in a group chat. And when we say without their consent, uh, this isn't, um, you know, this is all terrible, but it's not like they were, they weren't just filming people uh, naked or exposed without their consent. They were filming uh, gang sexual assault on women who had been drugged, uh, women who had been plied with drink and were unconscious or unresponsive. This is demonic stuff. Jeez. And then, yeah, and then it turns out it's called Burning Sun Scandal because Seungri uh, had ties to a nightclub called Burning Sun, and that's where a lot of this sexual assault took place. The um, the the three men involved got five and six year prison sentences, but. The controversy there is, first off, is that a fair sentence, you know, were the, uh, was their massive popularity somehow swaying the public toward giving them a lighter sentence? And that, that leads us to something else too, which is that, um, there, there are proving cases where K-pop stars, um, have been more or less forced to sleep with powerful people in the industry, either to advance their own career, they're sleeping with someone in a position of power, or a person in position of power tells them to go sleep with someone else, and they're sent out. This is this this is forced sex work, and it happens. It's happening. Yeah, according to BBC News, this is an issue that runs pretty rampant. Uh, within the industry where are the where there are these clubs like Burning Sun that exist all over the place where the K-pop stars will go to to make appearances and those kinds of things and then because of those contracts there's this pressure that's felt to just go and do whatever you are told to do and oftentimes it is exactly what been described um it, again that's BBC news that's not you know some other reporting agency that, you know, is fairly unknown making allegations. This is BBC News actually doing some, uh, some digging into this. Mm -hmm. And this, this tragic situation combined with, uh, the, the terrible issues with the contracts and, and the financial, uh, the opportunity for financial corruption, those two alone, would be enough to be uh, a horrific episode, but it doesn't stop there. There's something, there are a couple of other things we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about what it must feel like to be kind of bred almost to be this squeaky clean image. Uh, not only that, uh, you know, of pop music and of like, you know, good times, but very, very uh, G rated kind of, uh, and also sort of an ambassador uh, for your country. Um, there were some folks, men and women alike, who have just buckled under the strain of these brutal schedules, rehearsals. Uh, regiments and just the expectation. We've got um, a story about Kim Jong-hyun, who's 27, who is a member of Shinny. Um, he took his own life in 2017 after talking about how intense this pressure was. Uh, and of course, you know, you think of people having extreme success and everything being easy to treat, but think about the pressure and, and anxiety of losing everything. Uh, and I'm sure this is something that we, we've seen is wielded by some of those handlers, right? Uh, and then we've got another one in October of 2019. Uh, yes, this um, in October 2019, Suli, uh, 25-year-old, she's a former member of the girl group FX. Um, she also took her own life 
And then just a month later, a woman named Guhara, who was in a, a, a group called Kara, and then she was also a solo performer. She, um, she took her own life and she actually was a close friend of Suli. So the two of them in two months, 25 and 28, uh, both took their lives. Tragedy, tragedy. And they're, they're not the only examples you can see, you know, to your point, Noel, you can see how unsustainable and demanding it could be to, to, to literally have this contract that says you have to be perfect. You know, you, you can't do a lot of the things that normal kids do when they're teenagers or in their twenties, you know, like dating, uh, maybe, maybe having a long-term relationship, maybe even pursuing kids. You have to be this 24 seven advertisement, you know, and that's just not how people are built to live. Well, and if you're a female, you also have to essentially starve yourself. Um, especially in this system because there's, again, there's reporting on this and it's just to keep that ideal image. It's not, not, you know, not only the ideal image outwardly, as far as your actions, it's what you look like. And there's also a massive problem with plastic surgery, where young people are getting plastic surgery to look a very specific way to meet these standards. And there are several alleged, let's say, cases where that plastic surgery was not the choice of the individual. It was the choice of the, you know, the controlling members of that, uh, the group, the company, essentially. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I want to point out one thing that many of us not might not know is that South Korea actually has the highest rate of plastic surgery per capita in the world. And the most popular surgeries are things like skin whitening, uh, nose jobs, and uh, double, it's called double eyelid surgery. That's where you're, uh, they change the uh, state of your epicanthic fold. Uh, and it's all to make these people more closely resemble this kind of idealized physical image. You know what I mean? Even if it's unrealistic. And Ben, I, I wanted to bring this up because we, we're touching on it here. Uh, Noel, you're talking about kind of that G-rated lifestyle or, you know, that per that state of perfection where you can't be seen to be doing anything wrong in public, right? right? And yet, the both males, but especially females in K-pop, are overtly sexualized, like so overtly sexualized. Um, and that's not completely across the board, but I would estimate... 90% of the groups are overly sexualized, um, both in, you know, clothing that's being worn and in choreography, especially, and the way that they are seen by the camera, you know, the, the gaze of the camera. Um, so there's this kind of, I, I don't know what you call it, this balancing act there between these perfect G-rated people, yeah. but then also like the way they're portrayed. You're absolutely right. Now you see what I was getting at though, right? Like it's almost like there's this squeaky clean image. Like the sexualization is almost innuendo. You know what I mean? Like you would never actually think of them having sex or being sexual beings who are in control. They're just objects. They're sort of like anime characters or something like that that are kind of trotted out and there's no humanity to them. You know, that's the way they're portrayed kind of. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I, I think it's just uh, it reminds me of um, somebody like Britney Spears that had that similar thing. Like 
if you if you remember when she was first becoming popular and she's portrayed as this schoolgirl um in this very innocent way and yet hypersexualized mm-hmm. so it's just um it, it's just we're, you know we're talking about all these issues here and you can just almost feel how the the portrayal on camera i think a lot of times ends up being one of these major issues where there's a disconnect between what's being seen by the end user, somebody at their house, you know, watching one of these videos. Um, There's such a disconnect between that image that's being seen and then the actual human being that is attempting to function within this system. Absolutely. No, no, I I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I think we, I think we're all in agreement here. Uh, One you know, one terrifying aspect of this we have to point out is you don't see this talked about as much, but our neurological research proves that a person in this age range, uh, oftentimes their brain is still developing. So being in this kind of situation can have lasting effects on, you know, on the structure of your mind which I, I know sounds crazy, but it is true. I'm not being hyperbolic. Uh, there's there's one last thing we should also talk about, and that's privacy violations in K-pop and abroad. Because according to uh, several social uh, critics and columnists and researchers, uh, this uh, sexism, this misogyny uh, that these stars, uh, female stars in particular, but also males face is a symptom of a larger problem in society. There's uh, one researcher that really stood out, Mano Lee, who's a K-pop columnist, and specifically talking about the problems that female K-pop stars face. Uh, Mano Lee says the following, Quote, a lot of Korean women can relate to the issues that female celebrities deal with. They have experienced it themselves. Many, she says, feel unsafe due to the pervasiveness of MOLKA, M-O-L-K-A, gender-based violence and victim shaming. And and MOLKA is is weird. It's a portmanteau. It's uh it, it comes from two Korean words, mole, which is Korean for secret, and ka, which is uh the word for camera. And so molka means the illegal filming of women, and it is a huge problem. And I mean this doesn't pass unnoticed. I mean, there's been widespread outrage over this spy cam epidemic uh, in 2018. Almost 6,800 cases of hidden camera crimes were reported uh, in the Supreme Prosecutor's Office. And in some cases, camera were actually hidden in women's public toilets and also uh, motel rooms. Others involved uh, things like filming uh, and sharing videos of women uh, that had been taken by their partners and former partners. It's almost like revenge porn kind of stuff that we think of in the states right yeah exactly there's there's one other thing i want to add uh just i i don't know if people have heard about this i don't know how widely this is being reported in the u.s but i came across this when i was doing this uh strange news daily show there was recently a huge scandal related to this uh is based on something called the nth room nth and don't don't dive into it unless you have a, a strong stomach. But essentially what happened is uh, a group of terrible, terrible dudes started blackmailing uh, blackmailing women, several of whom were minors, in South Korea and forcing them to film themselves 
doing very dehumanizing things uh, up to and including uh, self-harm, sexual assault, and incest, uh, and then charging charging other people uh, to, like, they called them tickets, to go into the messaging group Telegram, go into what they call these inth rooms, and watch these videos. Uh, the main One of the main guys got caught. Uh, several of the other ones are still out there. And one of the big conversations in South Korea now is uh, about prosecuting the people, the thousands of people who paid to watch these horrible things. That story's ongoing. We don't have an answer, but that just shows us that this uh, this uh, mulka, this this illicit filming epidemic, is is huge. It's it's bigger than K-pop, and you know, not a lot of things are. But the, the there is so there is just so much disturbing and dark stuff here. This is just scratching the surface, you know? And, and remember, we're talking about a profoundly powerful industry. This is one that is more than capable of, in many cases, of protecting its own. You know what I mean? How much would an unscrupulous uh, uh, mover and shaker in this industry get away with? You could scapegoat K-pop stars all along, but where where are the big names going down? You know what I mean? Well, and they certainly haven't had their Me Too movement yet over there. You know, I mean, well, this, it's happening right now. Yeah, it really is. It's beginning to happen, and the nth, the nth room case is one of the big things. There are a lot of students that are speaking out now who are you know the train the trainees, the ones going in doing that like ten year stint, right? That we were talking about. There have been several groups who have stood up and said, hey, uh, we these there are allegations of sexual abuse, allegations of physical abuse, and they're just coming forward and trying to get support uh, while still existing in this rigid uh, system. It is a shame. And, you know, this is this is where we leave off on today's episode. But we have to be fair. Uh, currently, K-pop continues to grow. People love it, and and heck, they should. You know, it's catchy. It's a lot of fun. You know, the um, the music. If you're just listening to music and you're a kid, you know, it's stuff you can dance to. Uh, and this is also absolutely, absolutely not to imply that K-pop itself is rotten to the core. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are working ardently, day in, day out, and honestly, uh, to make it. In this industry, we all know entertainment's brutal industry. And yes, there is a great deal of disturbing behavior under the surface or behind the curtain or whatever phrase you want to use. People in power are leveraging their authority to force performers to commit sex acts, to force them to live in virtual poverty, uh, driving them to suicide, probably not purposely, but still driving them to suicide, and more. But to that point, at the like near the top of the show, the music industry is the music industry is the music industry. So it's the entertainment industry. Right. So we have to warn anyone who's too quick to criticize South Korea's industry, uh, lest you be quick to hop on a high horse. Remember, uh, many, many entertainment industries across the world are in a glass house situation. You know what I mean? We have to look at our own, uh, our own music industries. I mean, God knows the stories from the U.S. music industry alone. You know what I mean? There, there's, there aren't enough trees 
to make the pages we would need to write down those scandals. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, we've, we've even got a podcast on our network that's dedicated entirely to this. It's called Disgraceland. Do you want to tell us a little bit about oh, that, Noel? Yeah, sure. It's, it's a show uh, hosted by a really talented writer, uh, producer named Jake Brennan, and every episode is just about, you know, um, musicians doing terrible things, getting caught up in scandals, uh, largely of their own making. Um, so it's it's definitely an interesting one. you got things, everything from uh, Jerry Lee Lewis murdering several of his wives and getting away with it to, uh, you know, Tupac Shakur story uh, to there's a rapper by the name of Big Lurch who ends up involved in some light cannibalism um, and, and things like that. It's, it's a it's a really interesting show. And he's in the midst of season four, I believe, right now. Hey, another uh, new show you should be checking out is called Strange News Daily. If you like this show, you're going to love this one. It's a, it's a quick update on what's going on in strange news. Ben, you want to tell them about it? Yeah, uh, well, until the until this house of cards burns down, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a quick, uh, I'd say, 5 to 15 minute look daily update at some of the stories that haven't made the news. Like, uh, you know, it turned out that all the Dead Sea Scroll fragments in the Museum of the Bible are fake. They're forgeries. We talked about updates that have happened really quickly. It comes out Monday through Friday, available wherever you find your, uh, your favorite shows. And, you know, we want to hear from you because we know there are, statistically speaking, several of our fellow listeners have to be K-pop fans. The industry is just that huge. So we want to hear from you. What are some of your craziest K-pop uh, fan or anti-fan stories? What's your favorite group and why? What allegations have you heard? Uh, what do you think the future of K-pop is? Uh, tell us. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Yes, we are Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. We have a phone number. It is 1-833-STDWYTK. You can leave us a message, tell us what you think about this episode, give us suggestions for others, make us laugh, uh, tell us something interesting about yourself or uh, your aunt, Judy. Uh, whatever you want to do, we're interested. Give us a call. Yes, give us a call. Let us know uh, what you think. Uh, reach out. And you know what? I'm going to say, because everybody needs these human moments nowadays, you don't have to have an interesting story. If you've got a, if you've got something Reddit would call mildly interesting, all right, lay it on us. Yeah, or just tell us how you're getting through this whole thing. If you got any tips or just tell us how you're doing. That's totally awesome. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can always send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. 
a great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungles closing in? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to land.com, find your open space, and get out there. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.